Welcome into Two Foreign Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two Foreign Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. Today on the show, me and Mike are going to align on the 10 non-quarterbacks you have to pick, you have to have, when starting a new NFL franchise heading into 2021. And at the back end of the show, double interview season. Interview with Broncos defensive tackle Shelby Harris and also UNC head coach Mac Brown. Let's get it. Mike, let's just get right into it. We're going to pick, we're going to draft, draft, draft 10 non-quarterbacks. If we were starting an NFL franchise, I think every podcast group is doing this. If you're starting, if you're starting an NFL franchise right now in 2021, and your goal is mm-hmm. to win a Super Bowl in the next three years, your goal is yeah, to win a Super years. Bowl in the next three years. Obviously, you want to be perennial, perennially dominant, but you want to win a Super Bowl in the next three years. You can't factor in like future draft classes. Oh, what, what if we draft Stingley and then I get DJ Wangalele later? No. Pick 10 guys you're starting a franchise with right now in 2021. The goal is to win a Super Bowl in the next three years. Non-quarterbacks. You can almost assume we both get Patrick Mahomes. And then who has the better team out of this? You go ahead and kick us off, man. I, I want to give you the lead. It's, it's not snake, right? We're not going to do snake order here. It's going to be back and forth, back, back and forth. Cool. That's good. That if I get the first pick, then. Yeah, good for you. Big big adventure. So three years out. So I, I don't think you want to draft too many you want to draft like any rookies for that at yeah, three years really. out. Even like got, second year players, you're kind of second guessing. Them. Yeah. Like you got to have this guy better be fucking good right now. Yes. So I'm going to go first pick. I don't think it's going to be too controversial for three years out. Aaron Donald. Yes. The Los Angeles Rams defensive tackle. If you don't know who I'm referring to, he's 30, but he's also been so damn good that if he takes two steps back, he's still the best defense tackle. Football. So damn good to be an understatement. He's uh, yeah. He's been the best player at his position for the last six, seven years. Yeah. Like highest graded defensive tackle according to PFF for the last, yeah. I think, six or seven years. That's how good he's been. Chris Collinsworth brought this up, I think, in a, in a, in a group chat somewhere, Slack, saying, is Aaron Donald worthy? If you're talking about like one of the greatest players of all time. Where would you put him? Obviously, quarterbacks dominate that conversation. But where are you with Aaron Donald being like the GOAT, maybe one of the best defensive players of all time? I mean, if you don't, if you disagree with that, you're you're just a whatever the football uh, historian purist. You're just wrong. Like he he is because he's unquestionably no one has had an unquestionable run at their respective position this long in a minute. Like JJ Watt didn't even have that long of a run. JJ Watt was. When he was back from you know 2013 probably to 2016 17 before injuries really took its toll, but from 2015 to now, six years, there's no, it's not even been close. He's been the best fence stack of football. So, yeah, I, I, I do think that it's quite easily one of the best defense players of all time, and we're. Now, we're best, best defensive player of all time. I, I have no fucking clue. I didn't watch Reggie White down and down. That close enough. You should have. I didn't. I wasn't alive when LT was his prime. What about like uh, Deacon Jones? You didn't watch him either. Yeah. So whatever. By all means, if you're uh, 95 years old, tell me if I'm wrong. But I I do think 
in the last 15 years I've watched football, I don't think it's really close. He's the best defensive player of that span. I, I do think it gets ridiculous when you start to say who is the best defensive player of all time because of the era differences. Like yeah. the era, and also, can we talk about like just the progression of human development? Like Aaron Donald is one of the most absurd athletes yeah. we've ever seen. And if you compare him to any player from the 80s, 70s, 60s, he's a different breed yeah. athletically, size, weight, ratio. Like it's just no player is built like him, built different to use your terminology. Yeah. But I will say, so other guys have had peaks. Like in the Aaron Donald range, or like maybe that you could even say are better. JJ Watt, 2014, Jarrell Revis, 2009. Like what they got to and how good they were at their best. But no, I don't think anyone's no one's come close to sustaining it the way Donald has the past mm-hmm. six years. All right, I'm going to pick next year. So. After taking Aaron Donald, I am going to go with Miles Garrett, edge defender, Cleveland Browns. I do think that for the next three years, he will be a top three graded edge defender, if not one or two. I think that's how good he is, and I think attacking. That premier position, knowing that, obviously, one of the more valuable positions on the football field, also one of the more expensive positions on the football field, the highest-paid non-quarterbacks in the NFL are all pass rushers. So targeting Miles Garrett, I'm going after him. I think that would be my number two player. I think over the past five years, he's been the number two or number three graded edge behind Khalil Mack or up there with TJ Watt. He's been that good, still a very young player as well. I think over the next three years, uh, it's a no-brainer for me. Yeah, I don't think it's... I don't think it's controversial to say that he would be the second best defensive lineman in, over that span. Like he's still ascending, and it's just so physically like he's in that down tier of physically dominant. It's either him or kind of him or Chase Young, Nick Bosa. You would probably put up there if he was yeah. didn't tear his ACL if health weren't a factor with him. But yeah, I think that's probably the second best. And I think the thing about I was considering another player. I think the thing about the high end defensive lineman guys is you can pretty much bank on them showing up every day. Yeah. And, you know, like they, One of the more predictive positions yeah. in terms of play. Just the high-end guys, like stay high-end guys. Like you don't get a down year usually from a Miles Garrett. Like it's got to be injuries to have a down year. Whereas cornerbacks, we've seen Jalen Ramsey have some down years. We've seen guys like that have down years, which would be the next probably position I would go just in terms of the NFL as a whole where you really have those high-end tiers and then there's a big gap between uh, kind of the second tiers. Whereas like at – and I think we're attacking those positions because that like wide receiver, the difference between what wide receiver one in the NFL, which is highly debatable right now, who is like the best wide receiver in the NFL. It's probably like six guys you could realistically say are that. And then maybe that again, like I guess that just like, kind of explains that there's six guys that can be wide receiver one. So yeah. if we're drafting a team, we both get three of them, <laughs> you know, like we're both getting three of them. So I don't think there's necessarily as much like that's not a position you would want to attack uh, that early. I will the, go. The interesting position for me, and I, I know we'll pick probably some of these guys, is offensive tackle right now. If you were picking an offensive tackle right now to be your starter, your franchise piece for the next three years, like is Ronnie Stanley the only answer? I, I, again, I, I, do you pick Trent Williams even though he's a little bit older and a little bit more solidified? Do you pick Ryan Ramchick even though he only plays Ryan tackle? Who would be the left tackle for you? That is the thing prepping this. I, I didn't even I didn't even put Ronnie Stanley uh, on this. There was two names that I put because obviously the injury to Stanley. There were two names that I put. One was Trent Williams. One was Larry Tunsil, not to give away my serves, yeah. and and even those two, I'm not even sure I'd, I'm not even sure I'm taking them this highly in this because there's just not a lot of really talented young offense tackles out there that you know are kind of that guy. And, like, and there's not a Tyron of- Smith up and coming that you're just like, okay, yeah, he's next ten years, he's going to be that guy. So, and, I, and how much of that conversation is also that you know 
in my opinion, I'm aiming to be average to above average along the offensive line. I'd rather get elite at other positions. You know, I want to go get elite at corner, elite at pass rusher, elite at wide receiver before I go get an elite high end tackle. I, if we're only drafting 10 players, my 11th player will be a tackle. You know, my 12th player will go be a tackle. Yeah. Because, and it's not saying, you know, I don't want elite, I don't want Jonathan Ogden on my football team. It's just I'm prioritizing higher value positions where eliteness matters. You know, I think completeness eliteness. is what you're looking for along the offensive line, not so much eliteness. Okay, so go ahead and right. your player. All right, next player. I'm going to go Jalen Ramsey. God damn it. I'm going to start the Los Angeles Rams here. <laughs> <laughs> I've got Aaron Donald, and I've got Jalen Ramsey, because I think that's, again, where the separation is. You can rely on Jalen Ramsey, 26 years old, to lock down his side of the field against number one wide receivers for the next three years. Yep. I mean, like, fairly comfortably. There are some other guys that I'd maybe put in that conversation of that I think they can can be able to do that, but not none you feel nearly as solid about as Jalen Ramsey. I, I don't think there's too much debate there who's cornerback one in the NFL. Well, on the PFF 50, according to Sam Monson, Jalen Ramsey is the 16th-ranked player, cornerback two. And to avoid you having cornerback one and cornerback two, my pick will be Jair Alexander. The yeah. highest-graded coverage player in football this past year was absolutely dominant. 91.1 PFF coverage grade allowed fewer than 50% of his targets to be completed. Also had a ton of hands on the football. He's had 14 passes defensed in each of the past two seasons. Three picks this past year. Only gave up two touchdowns. The longest pass he gave up last year was 32 yards. That's a dub. You know, you limiting big plays at the cornerback position is so, so important. It really speaks to his match and mirror and how he can close windows. Jair Alexander, easy pick. And you could say, like, oh, he already took a corner, maybe wait on. It's like, no, I'm not going to give you Jair Alexander and Jalen Ramsey. And then I'm forced into, you look at the PFF 50 for the NFL players. After Ramsey and Alexander, it's Marlon Humphrey, Bryce Callahan, James Bradbury. There's debate on who. <laughs> Why the hell is Bryce Callahan? Bryce Callahan probably a little bit overrated there, but Sam's still. He's got a the thing for those slot guys i would take my yeah but I, uh, anyway jair alexander is my pick and i think it's an easy one yeah I, I i do i can get on board with that I, he was the next cornerback on my list here of the cornerbacks after that i'm not sure like i'm not going to go ahead and just go get a quarterback now cornerback even though we say that's second most valuable position in football i i think there's kind of a tier then after that of whether it's you know zavian zavian howard uh mm-hmm. zavian howard guys in, in that range that Marlon Humphrey that I'm not sure are really separating themselves from the pack. So for that reason, my next pick is going to be a little different. I'm going to uh, go defensive line. I'm going to go Chase Young here. Wow. You said you weren't going to take any rookies. He's a second-year player. Second-year player, Chase Young. Over, was, bo- over both the Bosas? Over TJ Watt? Over Khalil Mack? That good. Does not have the injury history of That's the absurd. Bosas. And TJ Watt, obviously in the conversation. But... Chase Young is a different, it's different. He's that different breed of athlete that I think is over the next three years. What we'll see from him, it could be could be different than what we see from any of these other guys and what they've done, like the JJ Watts, the TJ Watts. The I think Chase Young, among rookie bosses. pass rushers since 2006, when PFF started grading the NFL, I think he had the number three pass rushing grade as a rookie, or number four around there, up there with Khalil Mack, Von Miller. Alden Smith, those guys who just out of the gate were just absolutely absurd. And I think Chase Young was exactly that. I'm not going Young, though. I'm going Joey Bosa. I think Joey Bosa, for me, over the next three years, is going to be up there with Miles Garrett in PFF grade. I mean, yeah. so will TJ Watt. So will Khalil Mack. I think those guys are a little bit older. I'm leaning Bosa. I think, man, you pair up Miles. I got Miles Garrett, Jair Alexander, and Joey Bosa on the defensive side right now. 
I like that pick way better than Chase Young. I would go Bosa over Young every day. Then then do it. I will. No, and I will. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not stopping you. All right, you got Joey Bosa. And so Joey Bosa to give it. People forget how good Joey Bosa is. I feel like he gets so good. I I think people forget because there are one a lot of talented edge defenders right now. Khalil Mack, T.J. Watt. Both the Bosos, Chase Young on the up and up. This past year, a 90.5 PFF pass rushing grade. The year prior, a 90.3 PFF pass rushing grade. In 2018, he had the injury-hampered injury season. 2017, a 91.3 pass rushing grade. Consistently dominant when healthy. I, I do think that Joey Bosa, man, like an absolute star. I have, an easy pick. I have one of the dumbest stories I'm going to tell on this podcast about Joey Bosa. Oh, no. That, oh, uh, no. This better be good. <laughs> it's, it's so bad. All right, so before his rookie year, um, I, I text my brother and cause I, I text him when I have like bad tweet ideas and I'm like, do you think it's just like funny? I said, if there's like a, you know, a picture or like a video of Joey Bosa, um, batting a pass, jumping up and batting a pass and, uh, tweeting it with the caption, Wingardium Joey Bosa. No. Like, what did your brother say? Wingardium that? Leviosa, your like from number. I know Harry what Potter, it means. I know what it means. That was Okay. That would have been horrendous. I know. He hasn't batted a pass his entire NFL no, career. No, really? He'll <laughs> yeah. not tweet it when he bats a pass. That 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 tweet. He's not sucks. going to. He doesn't okay. like that's not how he rushes the passer. He, I'm just he's six quiet. foot five, hasn't batted a pass in five NFL seasons, which is insane to me. I but, uh I I'm sorry, I one, but uh he liked it actually. I don't that's I mean, his your humor brother's then. in the wrong side of things. I wish Quinn had his mic. I'd love to hear his take because this when that Guardian is just a Bosa. butt cheeks tweet. That tweet sucks. Um your next player, please, before you okay. tell another terrible joke. Oh, Save that tweet in drafts and then eat it when you tweet it. I want you to print it out and eat it. I love that tweet. I'm going to tweet it, and I'm going to tag you. Are you even a Harry Potter fan? I read all the books. Did you see all I the used movies? to get them last in my family because I was the youngest, and so I liked them. Hand me down fun. Harry Potter? Yeah, was the, they would all get it before Hand me. Hand me down Potter? And they would tell me what happened. Um, all you right. should have that in your dating profiles. <laughs> Hand me down Harry Potter novelist. Go ahead. All right. Now I think... I'm going to go a direction that's just because I think he's the single most impactful non-quarterback offensive player in the NFL. And, and yeah, I just said there are six wide receivers. I was going to go this direction too. But Tyreek Hill is my next pick because he is different. Like There's six wide receivers you can claim as wide receiver one. There's no wide receiver that brings to the table what Tyreek Hill does. There's no like suitable, close replacement to what he brings to the table. Not Michael Hardman? <laughs> Not quite. Not yet. Darnell Mooney? No, this no, I agree though. with you. I, I think from a rarity standpoint, Michael his Hardman being set. mad he was snubbed from the PFF fifty was that was an interesting one. Wait, I didn't see that. He tweeted a, he tweeted something about him being mad that when he got snubbed. Nicole Hardman thinks he's a top fifty player in the NFL. That's absurd. Barely. He didn't even start for them. <laughs> he's not even a start. I, I'm not even trying to be a dick. Like, no, he's I mean, not yeah, even a no, I know. That's why I was like, that's actually that's funny. But awareness, um, none. So Tyree Kill. My next pick. I, know, my, I rarely say that. I'm not even trying to be a dick. But like, you're, yeah. if you don't even start, like Byron Pringle started over him in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Anyway, my pick was going to be either Tyreek Hill or this guy. I'm going Devontae Adams, the highest grade wide receiver in football okay. this past year. You know, you say there's a lot of people in the conversation for wide receiver one. I feel really confident. If I had to pick a, if I, so this, this is a good take. If I had to pick a player, <laughs> you can preface this, it by this, this is, is a, good a very take. good take from my own. If I had to pick a player for one play, I'm taking Tyreek Hill. Picking a player for a season, I'm taking Devontae Adams. I, I think or three years. Devontae Adams is sick as hell. I, I, highest grade receiver this past year. Can do it all. Can win from multiple alignments. No, he doesn't have the speed or the rarity and skill set that maybe Tyreek Hill has. But yeah. he'll I, be 32 by the end of your three years, and he's going to be as dominant as Julio Jones for the next three years. 
I mean, like if you're going, maybe not. Maybe not as dominant as Julio Jones. Julio Jones was like legit insane. But. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm drafting another wide receiver here, just because of. Uh, I'm not sure there's anyone, but if I were to go another wide receiver, I think AJ Brown. That's my be, next guy. That's yeah. next on my list. I was going to just because of age there. Like yeah. you got six year age difference between those. That's like one. You would take AJ Brown over Devontae Adams, really, for three years. I mean, just for I'm saying for three years. Yeah, that year three guys at the, you know on the other side of thirty can just that's your decline. Like Julio Jones, very good receiver still. He's not Julio Jones. From, when he was 28, 20. No. But I'm also picking to like groom up the rookies I'm drafting. Like there's oh, okay. Off- the leadership the, the, the aspect. The leadership aspect kind of matters. You know, you brought in Tyreek Hill, whose leadership off the field is absolutely bad. So bad. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, next player. Tyreek Hill. Did you see the TikTok of. No, I did see the TikTok. I don't want to talk about it. Talk about self awareness. I mean, that was the worst TikTok decision I've ever seen. Can you, can you bring it up? Yeah. Or can we bring it up? We can bring it up. I mean, he uh, had a TikTok where he's like. Place it was like a kung fu fighting yeah. song, and he's like cry chopping his partner, and that's just buddy. Like, talk, talk about talk about a bad decision, you know? Like that's that's not what you want to be. How 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 did that get back. through the? It's a bad callback. That's a bad call. That's a bad call. Um, you should not yeah. be doing any jokes around hitting anything, literally anything, <laughs> let alone your significant other. Yes. It could be a punchy bag. We oh, I have another thing I want to talk about. Go ahead. We're having Go ahead. a lot of tangents, tangents right now. City. Um, how about that Kurt Warner movie? No one wanted to say it. That was the worst thing I've ever seen. It looks awful. Like, not, no offense to Kurt Warner. It actually has nothing to do with Kurt Warner. He doesn't know how to fucking make a movie. He didn't make, yeah. He's not the, my guy made the movie. Sick. Yeah, awesome dude. A great analyst. Heck of a quarterback. I, I was at the fucking 20, 2009 Cardinals-Packers wildcard game. That was one of the best games of all time. He just carved him up. He was like Hall of Fame-esque quarterback. My God. That looked that would look like a... a Fake. It looked like a, a like joke. A, yeah, a joke trailer. Yeah, it, it looked was, like a joke. It was, that trailer was horrendous. The picture of the guy holding the ball, no one's ever held. He's holding a ball like up against his armpit, like sideways. Like, we need in to the get middle. the trailer on the YouTube video, Quinn. We I've need- never seen anyone hold a ball like that. And they weren't, the guy's like 6'2, 180, trying to be an NFL quarterback. And they had other guys, like none of the actors looked like they were bigger the, than me. The actor decision was horrendous. Like, what, who even is that guy? Why in my in my, my here's a take when you're doing a movie about a famous person yeah it's not so important that they look like the person as much as it is important that they're actually good actors yeah. I don't care if it looks like Kurt Warner at all like l- l- just make sure you get a guy who can do it and yeah. it has it has like some pedigree yeah I guess I haven't seen him act before but come on I don't even know who that person was I think it's like everyone is it Kurt Warner's brother because everyone like likes Kurt Warner no one really wanted to be like this is atrocious but I had to say it <laughs> no one wanted to say it. But. That's a better tweet than the Guardian Joey Bosa tweet because that sweet sucks. They're both good tweets. Um, All right. Who are you picking? You got so you went Devontae, Adams, Devontae Adams. And you hated we're it. four deep in. All right. This is where it gets interesting because I don't know. We're on tangents now. We haven't talked in a while because okay. we did the pre-recorded yeah. stuff. But can I bring up the, the – we were talking about bad things we've seen. The Emmanuel Acho tweet about the ja- javelins. Oh my god! Okay, there's too many good Emmanuel Acho tweets out there right now. <laughs> you saw the javelin one though, right? Javelin one was abysmal. He said, "Where do we draw the line? Where do we draw the line?" And then actually, uh, Sports Talk Barry had one of my favorite tweets. I was just laughing out loud for like five minutes. He's like, "It's all fun and games until a a marijuana addict breaks into your house and then spears you with a javelin." <laughs> oh my gosh! I could not believe he said, "It's if you're running a straight line, it's chill. Once you start making turns or throwing javelins." Yeah. And then you're on, you shouldn't and you're be high in marijuana. 
Whoa. That tweet was freaking incredible. That was bad. But then he also, he had a tweet where he said, I got to pull it up. He said something about, it was was like a quote about like justice or something. And he had the, the writing in the tweet. And then he had a picture of himself in a suit that then had the writing of the tweet that he just said. And then it said Emmanuel Acho. Like he said it? Like yeah, it like he said it. That's You that's, didn't see that one? I didn't see that one. I didn't see that, that one. That one was – I just couldn't believe it. He, I, I, he I photoshopped Cheech and Chong with a javelin and said, where did we draw the line? That was my only take I had on there. All <laughs> right, so he, he wrote, rob us of their freedom and you rob a country of their greatness. And then there's a picture of him in a suit and it says, rob us of their freedom and you rob a country of its greatness. And then like dash, Emmanuel Acho. It was pretty tough, dude. That is tough. So that is really yeah, tough. A lot of good, a lot of good tweets going on lately. Man, this is incredible. All right, pick your player. I'm All so right. sorry for we're back. Thing here. My four players right now are Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Chase Young, and Tyreek Hill. My fifth player is going to be George Kittle. Ooh, because I think that's the kind of the last position I'll say where I think there's a unique skill set that maybe no one's going to be able to replicate. Um, Kittle is obviously he's coming off a broken foot MCL a little bit of banged up last year but he's one of that tier one of tight ends that can actually just beat you one-on-one consistently from a number of different alignments probably the best blocking tight end or right out there with the best blocking tight end in the NFL Travis Kelsey's 32 Travis Kelsey's not gonna you know yeah. you can't rely on him for three years Darren Waller is not what Kittle is nearly as a blocker Cal Pitts is you know I was debating Cal Pitts, like Still a adding to this, but he's twenty. It's very much a projection. You might get your one may not may not be as sweet as you know was promised. Like it's just there's a transition to be made there. So mm-hmm. George Kittle is the guy that I will be selecting with my fifth pick. Man, that's tough. I, I don't know where I want to go here. I was thinking about George Kittle. I was also thinking about Darren Waller. Um, part of me wants to go back to the well here at corner. I, I just want. Go I, for I, it. I'm going to go get Marlon Humphrey. Okay. I like Marlon Humphrey yeah. a lot. He can play on the outside and he can play on the inside. Sure. He's graded really well at both positions. I obviously still have Jair Alexander. My team right now is Garrett, Alexander, Bosa, and Adams. I also love the. Here's a here's a wrong, probably not the best thing to say from a PFF perspective, but the swag. I mean, I, I got Alexander and Humphrey. That's that's a that's a High that's an aggressive grade. motor. Right yeah. there, and I, I love the mentality both those guys play with. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go grab Marlon Humphrey as my fifth player. Attacking defense here: four defensive players: Garrett, Alexander, Bosa, and Humphrey, and then Devonte Adams, my only offensive player so far. Okay, I dig it. I can dig it. Um, I'm gonna go. Gosh, I don't want to do this because I don't know if he's going to be alive. For the, oh no, Derwin James. I don't know if he's That's gonna fill the football field. Bold, but if Derwin James healthy and obviously the health a big if but my god he is the single most impactful safety in the nfl he is versatile as can be he could be if i can put him out i can put him at outside corner i can put him at edge i can put him wherever the hell i want that's the athlete that derwin james is now is he gonna be healthy i don't know but i'm gonna take that chance because force fears bold love it i'm going aj brown wide receiver tennessee I'm going to just continue to add wide receiving talent. I, I like the age. I think you're right about – I was th- considering DeAndre Hopkins here, really considering DeAndre Hopkins, but he's also 29. Over the next few years, I think DeAndre Hopkins is going to be really good. But I can see A.J. Brown being you know, significantly up there, and especially when you think – you obviously want to win a Super Bowl in the next three years, but I'm starting a franchise. You know, I'm mm-hmm. trying to start one for the next three, five, ten years, maybe build a dynasty here. A.J. Brown is my next pick. 
All right. So you got... I got Garrett, Alexander, Bosa, Adams, Humphrey, and A.J. Brown. You okay. have Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Chase Young, which over the Bosa's, insane. Tyreek Hill, George Kittle, and Derwin James. Oh, man. I'm kind of SOL on the cornerback front. Uh, I think I'm going to have to go... I think we have to go Zayvon Howard. Yeah. Just so I don't get boned. Because I think that's your t- clear tier right now. The top corners in the NFL are Jalen Ramsey, Zayvon Howard, Marlon Humphrey, and Jay Alexander. And that's your top four. And anyone outside of that is on the older. Or like anyone like in that mix mm-hmm. is old, right? Like Stephen Gilmore, uh, whether it's Marcus Peters, or like any guy that you want to kind of throw also into that tier, I wouldn't trust for three more years. Whereas those guys. I think you would. So I'm going to take the last one that I'd keep in that tier. What's tough for me now is I almost don't want to even take another corner. You probably wouldn't. You're probably should, I, yeah. I might as well That's not. It. You know. But here, here I'm going to do. I, I just uh, call me crazy here. I'm going to go get DeAndre Hopkins. Right. I'm, I'm going to go get Nuke Hopkins. He's 29 right now. It's going to be 32, just like you know Devontae Adams. You speak to that. Your receiving core is going to retire in two years. My, no, it's not. <laughs> DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams is not going to retire in three years. But they I'm going to go win a Super Bowl. I'm not winning a Super Bowl in three years. I'm winning a Super Bowl this year. Okay, cool. I'm winning a Super Bowl this year. you got Nuke Hopkins and Devontae Adams on the outside with A.J. Brown on the inside. All right. like, I'm, I'm going to I'm going, I'm firepower, baby. Firepower. You're up. I'm going to go O-line now. I'm going to go Laramie Tunsil. Gotcha. I, I think... He is, I'm still young. I still believe he's 26. You got three years of him being at a high level. One of the better pass protectors in the NFL. That's what I care most about. Has been healthy throughout his career. There's, again, I, I didn't love the tackle sort of value, but at this point in time, eighth, my eighth pick, I, I think he's where I would roll with. Going offensive tackle. Yeah. I, I don't think I will in my top 10. I, I'd rather take, you know, the top five, you know, guys later. Yeah. But I think I'll go tight end Darren Waller here. I'm attacking the offensive side of the ball right now. I went A.J. Brown, DeAndre Hopkins, and then Darren Waller for back-to-back-to-back picks to pair with Devontae Adams to a point where someone's always open. And my offense is going to be always open here. Mm-hmm. We have, And the offensive line is going to be average to above average if I flesh this out accordingly. But I think that's, that's, that's my pick here, Darren Waller. Okay. I considered Kyle Pitts, but I think it's too much of a projection. I've already seen it from Waller. Yeah. I think the Pitt, Pitts comparison was Darren Waller. I think Pitts could be better than Darren Waller in two, three, or four years' time. But right now, Darren Waller is a top three tight end in the NFL, and I think he's going to be that for the next three to five years. Okay. I'm going to go last pick here. No, my ninth pick. This one's tough, and I'm not sure I absolutely love it, but just watching this guy, what he did last year when healthy was the single best at his position I've seen in recent years. And it wasn't particularly close. It was Vita Bay. Oh, wow. The best nose tackle in recent memory when he was healthy last season. He was so physically dominant for the Bucks, And now, obviously, did have that injury. Uh, wasn't quite as impactful down the stretch when he came back in the cha- championship game in the Super Bowl. But going into year four, only 26 years old, ascending player. You cannot replicate. There's not a lot of guys, 345 pounds, that can play full workload and rush the pass the way he can at the nose tackle position. Now, I just debated Chris Jones, and Chris Jones has to be so pissed that he exists in a time where Aaron Donald's alive because he would So did be, Fletcher Cox, to be fair. Yeah, him and Fletcher Cox over the past five or six years would have gotten way, way more hype had they not existed with Aaron Donald. But... 
Vita Vea, you need the note. Like him, Chris Jones and Aaron Donald, uh, I'm, my run defense is going to have, it's going to be a one gapping team. Like your Vita Vea can do things in run defense that Chris Jones cannot and not even close. So, Vita Vea. I like it. I like Vita Vea. Yeah. Talk about rare skill set, rare size. Um, I'm, I'm going against positional value here, but I do think that he is far and away, not far and away, but I think arguably the best linebacker in football right now and still very, very young. Fred Warner, Damn. 24 years old. I'm bringing him in. You pair that up with, I got Miles Garrett, Jair Alexander, Joey Bosa, Marlon Humphrey on the defense side of the ball. My fifth player here on the defense side of the ball is going to be Fred Warner. Easily in the conversation for best coverage linebacker in the NFL, if not the and easily in the conversation for best linebacker in the NFL, if not the. And I think give him in the next three years, I don't even think it's going to be a conversation. You know, Bobby Wagner, Eric Kendricks, there's Lavante David, Devin White apparently is the number yeah. one linebacker according to that poll from ESPN. Mm-hmm. I do think that Fred Warner, though, I feel really confident saying he's going to be one of the top three, if not the best linebacker in football over the next three years. Yeah, I debated Warner with my last pick. He was the only linebacker I had on my list here that I was willing to put up there because Wagner. Uh, on the wrong side of 30 now. Um, Eric Hendricks has been very good. I would think about him, but I'm not sure. At 29, he's going to be 32 by the end of this. <sighs> Warner was the guy that if you're going to take a linebacker that you would do. I don't know now. I, I don't know where I go now. I'm kind of <sighs> I'm debating for this one pick. and It's, it's going to sound silly. Uh-oh. <laughs> silly guy. Here comes Silly. But I, I'm going to go with this one, and it is. I'm going to go Kyle Pitts. Wow. With George Kittle. With George Kittle. Interesting. It's going to be fun. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what it's going to look like. But it's going to be fun. That's going to be Tyreek Hill, George Kittle, Kyle Pitts. is going to be an, a fun hashtag. Fun to so watch. Read your full team. Your, so read your full team. Full team now. Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Chase Young, Tyreek Hill, George Kittle, Derwin James, Xavier Howard, Laramie Tunsil, Vita Vea, and Kyle Pitts. I love it. There love to see it. Here, here's one other. Here's a fun pick for me. All right. My last pick, stay on the defense side ball and staying with the Niners. I'm going to go get Nick Bosa. So now I have Miles Garrett, Joey Bosa, Bosa and Nick Bosa. Wingardium three, Nick Bosa. Three edge defenders. I think I can kick Miles inside whenever I want to. I kick any of those guys inside whenever I want to yeah. on passing downs. We have one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. My full team here, Miles Garrett. Jair Alexander, Joey Bosa, Devontae Adams, Marlon Humphrey, A.J. Brown, New Hopkins, Darren Waller, and then Fred Warner and Nick Bosa in the comments on YouTube or on Apple Podcasts. Please rate Team Gale or Team Renner. Which team do you think had the best start between the two? And keep in mind that Mike had the top pick, and I, I came yeah. to that and clean up here. I know. You did kind of get screwed. But You're- I didn't get screwed. I think my team is fantastic. I think my, this might be the best team in the NFL. I, obviously, is but uh, <laughs> hot take. It's a Pro Bowl team. Hot take. Uh, I think the tangents were fun too, though. This is a good exercise. I think we went off on the right things. This was uh, a ton of fun here at the back end of the podcast. Now let's go get to the interviews with UNC head coach Mac Brown and Denver Broncos defensive tackle Shelby Harris. Now joining Two Four Drafts podcast is current UNC head coach Mac Brown. Coach, great to have you on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Austin, and, and thanks for having me on. This will be fun. 
Absolutely. I love the background, man. That is looking fantastic. I might need to get a UNC field background for me. Where I'd like to start, honestly, is two guys that you know played for Tar Heels this past season and absolutely dominated in PFF metrics. Running backs Javante Williams and Michael Carter, nearly breaking a handful of records in forced missed tackles per touch, yards after contact. Easily one of the best college running back tandems we've seen at PFF in recent years. But you have a unique, a wealth of experience coaching talented running backs. Where does that duo of backs rank? for you having coached Ricky Williams, Cedric Benson, Charles, among a ton of other talented backs. Compare Williams and Carter and just how good were those backs for UNC? Austin, those two guys were, were among the great backs that we've been able to coach, and, and it is fun when you, you start looking at the, the great duo that uh, USC had in the 2006 National Championship game. Everybody talked about those guys. <laughs> and these two guys actually had more yards uh, than those guys. At, at the same time. So uh, we felt like that uh, they're, they're powerful. Uh, they've got tremendous patience, uh, explosiveness on the inside, but the ability to catch the ball and the speed to, to go the distance on the outside. So uh, those guys will be really, really good NFL players. And in our estimation, they're both great people. Um, Javante will get his degree soon, and, and Michael's already gotten his, so they're, they're, they're very bright. They'll learn the systems very quickly. They both stayed healthy for us for two years. Uh, also very unselfish because when you you got guys that are getting that much publicity, they want their scores, and they didn't care who scored the touchdowns. And, and uh, Robert Gillespie, our running back coach, did a really good job of balancing the number of carries that they had to keep them fresh and still the ability to leave the guy with a hot hand in the game. So uh, we'll really, really miss those two guys. There's uh, a lot of people talking about how great we're going to be next year. Well, somebody's going to have to step up at running back and somebody's going to have to step up at wide receiver because we lost some really good players at both those positions. You know, I talked to Javante Williams and Michael Carter on this podcast, and the game I bring up is the Miami game where both of those guys just are having an absolute field day against that defense. Were you at all surprised that they were capable of that type of game? You know, the tacklers were bouncing off of them. They were laughing on the sidelines is what they told me. Just how absurd was that game, and were you expecting that at all? No. I, I would say no, 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 and no. Uh, it was uh, number 10 in the country. We're playing at their place. Uh, they were on a roll. They, they'd been winning. Uh, they've got tremendous players. They're very well coached. So I was absolutely shocked that that game got out of control like it did, and, and, and a whole lot because of those two guys. There, there was a play early in the game. I think we were up 14 to nothing, and it was a fourth and three, and uh, – Miami went for it about our 40 going in, and Chaz Surratt makes an outstanding play, gets him a little short. The next play, Michael Carter goes the distance, and, and that was pretty much it. But, but that was definitely the Javante Williams and the, and the Michael Carter show. And, and when you do that, you've got to have an offensive line that's done some great things and a quarterback that can spread people out and still get the ball um, so they can't stack the box. But uh, those two guys had, had a, a special night. You spoke to this a little bit, but another highly regarded prospect coming out of UNC this past season was Deami Brown, a guy, another guy I had on this podcast who was excellent running the vertical route tree. Such a good deep threat for you guys this past season. What are your expectations for him in the NFL? I talked to him a lot about that route tree he ran at UNC and how he wants to add a more diverse concepts when he gets into the NFL. I guess I'd be interested to know what your expectations for him and how quickly he could have an impact for the Washington football team. Austin, he is so fast. And, and he can catch. He can make the hard catch. He's got length. He's got it all. 
So he, he can stop and start, so he can catch the short stuff. He can run the inside stuff. He's not afraid to be hit while he's catching the ball. Uh, but I think his, his biggest threat is, is his deep ball because of his uh, just dynamic speed. And I've talked to Randy Jordan as the running back coach with the Washington football team that played for us at North Carolina. And he's already said that uh, he's killing it in, in their, their workouts when he was up there. And they're very, very excited about Deami moving forward. That's awesome. Uh, another story I'd love to hear from you, at least your side of it, is you know going into switching Chad Surratt from quarterback to linebacker. I, I would I want to know how that conversation started and how how you so quickly developed him into such a dominant force on that side of the ball, a legitimate playmaker at linebacker, having switched from quarterback to linebacker. How'd that conversation start? What's the story there? Well, it's a great story, but but it was uh, Larry Fedora who first talked to him when Coach Fedora was here. He signed him as a five star quarterback. Uh, he got hurt. It wasn't working as well as he, he needed to. And uh, the story I heard is Chaz came in and said, Coach, I want to move to, to linebacker. And and uh, when I got there, I, I brought him in and said, what's the deal? I mean, you're a quarterback, <laughs> and you're a five-star quarterback, and we don't have a quarterback at this time. Uh, why, why do you want to move? And should you be a safety first before you look at linebacker? And his answer was, I want to play in the NFL. And, and that's really important to me. And I'm not going to be an NFL quarterback. That's not my style. They're, they're not doing what I do, but I do feel like I can be a, a linebacker. So then you get to he's big enough, he's fast enough, he's strong enough, he can jump. Uh, does he have instincts as a linebacker? Will the mental game that he had at quarterback help him read the offenses on, on defense? And Tommy Thigpen, who also played for us at North Carolina, is our co-defensive coordinator, and he's a linebacker coach, and he did an amazing job of, of teaching um, Chaz what to do and how to do it and how to read things. And in the spring, he, he had a cast on his, his wrist, so he was limited. He couldn't tackle. And we start him against South Carolina, and he's never tackled anybody in practice or game. He's never been a linebacker in a game, and the, the early – First quarter, Feaster goes off left side, and Chaz comes up, meets him in the uh, hole, and Feaster runs over him and goes and scores. And Jay Bateman's yelling at him on the sideline. I said, he's never played a day at linebacker. Come on, man. Let's give him a quarter before we start yelling at him. And, and then he ends up being one of the, our leading tackler and one of the best linebackers in the country. That is fantastic. I remember talking to my podcast co-host Mike Renner about that game because I think we charted him with a handful of missed tackles, and we're all you know we're all talking to ourselves like he that's the first time he's ever played. That's literally the first time he's ever played. That's funny. So you know, losing Carter, losing Williams, Brown, Daz Newsom, this offense taking some hits at skill positions. How do you expect you know quarterback Sam Howell and offense coordinator Phil Longo to kind of mitigate those losses? And who are some names that you expect to step up in their wake? I know Josh Downs, Caffrey Brown. There are some names that are coming up the ranks here, but who are some guys that you feel like? are going to help mitigate those losses. Austin, we'll be more like we were two years ago when we got here at, at receiver and at running back. Uh, Daz Newsom and Deami Brown had dropped some balls, and they were inconsistent, and so they, they were unknowns. And Lonnie Galloway did a great job bringing those guys on to where now they're both in the NFL because uh, Daz is, is with the, uh, with the Bears. Uh, and then you start looking at running back, and you're not going to replace those two guys. I mean, so let's forget that. It's just like replacing the, the receivers. Uh, but what you want to do is, is you've got to figure out who's the best guy. And, and we're not a transfer portal team. We're not out looking for guys. We'd rather build it from the ground up with high school guys. But if we have a need, we'll go look at one. And, and we signed Ty Chandler from Tennessee. 
and he's been a really good back for them. And, and we think he fits what we're doing perfectly. So we're excited about watching Ty. Now we've got some other inexperienced guys that are going to be competing for the, those jobs, whether it's Josh Henderson or, or uh, DJ Jones, or um, you start looking at Caleb Hood, who's a quarterback that's never played running back a day in, in college and just went through spring practice, or uh, Kamaro Edmonds that just came in, or Elijah uh, Green, who, who has some injuries, but he, he's learning to catch the ball better, and he's doing well. So we've got guys. We've got to figure out who can step up, and especially – in, in an opener like you've got at Virginia Tech, it's, it'll be a good team that's mad at us and, and at the same time uh, in an unbelievable environment, first time back out on national television. At wide receiver, you mentioned a couple of guys, but Bo Corrales is back. Yeah. And Bo did a great job for us the first year. Last year he played about three or four games and got hurt, so we lost him for the year. So I'm so glad he's back because, like Ty Chandler, he's got a whole lot of experience. So he, he can be a go-to guy. Then you've got Josh Downs, who played so well in the in the bowl game against Texas A&M. He was a, a, a superstar in that game. Probably should have played him more during the year, but Naz Newsom was so good that it was hard to take him out very much. And then you've got uh, Choffrey Brown, who's got speed. He's faster than his brother. He's just got to mature and catch the ball better. And you've got some guys like Emory Simmons that, that played quite a bit last year and did some good things. You, you've got another guy like Antoine Green uh, that's been there. He's done some good things. He's had trouble staying healthy. Uh, so there's enough people there and, and some that I won't even mention because the, the list gets long. But what we've got to do, other than Ty Chandler at running back, we've got to separate the ones that are going to play as compared to the others so we can get really serious starting uh, August 4th and 5th when we, we come back to work. And we've got to do the same thing at wide receiver. We're going to have more depth, but we can't just keep playing guys. We've got to have some guys separate and get ready to go to Virginia Tech. Gotcha. Totally understand that. Going to flip my focus a little bit here to the quarterback position, specifically Sam Howell. You know, you helped convince Sam Howell to decommit from Florida State and go to UNC in your second stint with the team. And, you know, what do you feel like drew him to the Tar Heels? And what all did you see him see in him then to be so confident and make such an effort to bring him to UNC? Sam grew up wanting to be the quarterback at North Carolina. And, and one of the reasons he's handled all this pressure since day one is that he's envisioned himself, in my opinion, being in that position his whole life. That's who he thought he was going to be. And then Carolina was struggling, and, and then uh, a, a guy that he really liked, Walt Bell, was the offensive coordinator at Florida State. So that's why he committed to Florida State. Then Walt left and, and, and took the head coaching job at UMass, and that gave us an opportunity to kind of reopen the recruiting and, and uh, get him talking about it. When I, I, He was the first guy I went to see, obviously, and I went down, and the first thing he said is, what's your offense going to be? And the second thing he said is, who's your offensive coordinator going to be? <laughs> I'm, it's the second day I've been there. And I said, well, I've got some guys I'm talking to who? I want to talk to the offensive coordinator. What are wow. you going to do? So he, he knew exactly what he wanted to do. He knew what he wanted to be a part of. And then when we hired Phil Longo, he had known Phil through the recruiting from Ole Miss. Uh, he, he loved what we were talking about doing. And um, he, he has been a superstar and, and just done a tremendous job since day one when he beat South Carolina in that opening game with a, a comeback down 20 to 9, uh, which, which should show just how good he is. Then the next week he beats Miami at home, uh, overcoming a fourth and 17. And, and again, overcoming a deficit right at the end of the game to win. So 
the guy's tough. He's smart. He, he is so dedicated to football, um, and he wants to be really, really good. And and uh, we've we've turned it faster than I thought we would, Austin. And the the number one reason that I think we're in a better position in year three than I thought we would be is Sam Howell. Because when you've got that guy, it gives you a chance. You look at uh, college football playoffs last year is the four best quarterbacks in the country. Mm-hmm. You look at the NFL playoffs. Uh, the deeper they go into the playoffs, the better the quarterbacks are. And Mahomes and, and Brady are playing for the, the Super Bowl and the 40-year-old won out. So uh, you've got to have a great quarterback in modern-day football to make this stuff work uh, because you've got to score some points because all the rules lean toward the offense scoring points. And, and, and now a field goal is a good defensive stop, and that's not the way it used to be. It's a quarterback-driven league, both in the NFL and the NCAA. I definitely agree with you there. So what do you feel is the next step for Sam Howell? A lot of draft analysts right now are already sliding him in as a top-three pick in the 2022 NFL draft. But what, what step does he need to take, or what steps does he need to take to solidify himself as that top quarterback in the country? The most important thing you can do as a quarterback is win. When we had Vince Young, we were t- everybody's talking about his throwing motion and his stats and all this. I said the only thing you'll be remembered for is how many games you won in championships. And he ends up being 30 and two. And I can call that off my head today. And he, he won the national championship. So what Sam needs to do is lead us to a championship and, and winning is the only thing he's smart. He's tough. He's got the quick arm. He's getting the ball out of his hands quicker. He's in better shape. His hips are more flexible. He's lost the weight. He can make plays with his feet. He, he, he makes very few poor decisions. And if he does, it's usually because he tries to get that deep ball because he throws it so well. So he'll drop it off some to to our backs. But uh, that's the only thing. We need to be strong around him and help support him to to lead us to a championship. And that's really all that's left for him. He's going to be a high-round draft pick regardless. He's one of the best players in the country. But winning a championship would separate him from, from the group. One more question for you, Coach. Really appreciate the time. Thinking of Vince Young, bringing him up, I mean, he's a player that would have absolutely benefited from the new NIL rules in the NCAA. What is your reaction to the recent development with NIL, and how do you feel like it's really going to impact this game, having coached as long as you have, seeing the game as long as you have? Austin, my first thought was when it came up two years ago, what an awful thing. We're losing amateurism. This will no longer be college sports like we've always known it. And that uh, there's only going to be a few young people that benefit. And, it, and it, on a, a team with 120 people, if five benefit, you got 115 that do not. Mm-hmm. And what's that going to do to your locker room? Um, are, are guys going to worry more about their brand than the ball? Um, and then a, after it, it happened, we're all in. I mean, my, my wife, Sally, probably said it best. All we've done now is we've taken extra benefits out of it. And the student athletes have the same rights as all the students. They can work to make money. They can use their name and and likeness to make money. Um, Bubba Cunningham and his team are doing a great job of trying to find ways for our entire team to benefit. The Sam Howells are going to benefit on their own. That's not going to be an issue. We got Mm -hmm. guys making deals and and that's fine. And I'm, I'm good with that. My job is more to make sure that that backup right guard has a chance to brand himself. If he can make a little money, fine, but let's at least get him in position with his name, image, and likeness. When he gets out of here, he's got a better opportunity to get, to get the job he wants and, and have a great life after football, regardless 
of whether he is in a position to, to make a whole lot of money as that backup right guard or not. And if I was doing it and if I had my choice, which I'm not, and I don't, I would have said uh, get each player on each college team uh, a certain lump of money on his way out. If you graduate, regardless of how much you played, take the money from jersey sales, take the money from video games, uh, take the money from camps maybe that you you would make using your players and and get this lump sum of money in the end and then divide it up mm-hmm. and give it to all of them when they graduate to give them a, a, a lump sum of money to get them started in, in their professional life. Gotcha. This has been fantastic, Coach. I really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best of luck this season. Thank you, Austin. Thanks for having me on, and you guys have a great week. Now joining the 241 Drafts podcast is current Denver Broncos defensive tackle, also a PFF favorite, a guy coming off a career year in 2020, Shelby Harris. Shelby, great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Of course. A little background on Shelby. Born in Milwaukee. Originally went to Wisconsin. Transferred to Illinois State after a redshirt senior. Redshirt freshman season there. A 2014 seventh round pick. And you're also the host of the Shell Shocked podcast. Talk to me about that podcast. How's that, how's that venture been for you? It's been amazing because this is something I've always wanted to get into and it's something I want to do after football. And so I just think it would be it's very interesting to try to give an inside look at, you know, an athlete athlete's mind and everything that you know we think about in our you know opinions on a lot of stuff that you know you usually would never get and so I try to use my podcast as a way to you know one I try to any uh, player or anything I try to make sure I can get like if they have a foundation or something like that you know try to push that but then also just try to give an inside look because I know uh, my, my teammates will talk to me differently than they talk to the media you know what I mean so I try to just try to inside look at everyone's different personalities yeah that's awesome man definitely check out the shell shocked podcast uh the other thing i want to mention you're from milwaukee what is your final prediction for this buck sun series man tied up at 2-2 Giannis with one of the most absurd you know finals plays we've ever seen obviously blocking that uh shot from eight on the lob there what's your final prediction for this series is it bucks and six is it bucks and six? Oh, you know bucks and six baby <laughs> but like it's just because for me i've been saying bucks and six this whole time because Literally, just from when we played the Nets and the Hawks, I was like, "Yeah, we're just, we're just, we're going, we're going to, we're going to screw up a couple games." <laughs> that's just, yeah. that's just what the Bucks do. But then somehow they figure it out and they and they get it back going. And so I'm ex- I'm excited. You know, I might try to make it down to Game Five in Phoenix, but you know, I, I happened to make it down to Game Three in the Deer District and and I went to the game with my family, and it was just such a phenomenal experience. You know, for for me. The Bucks have been garbage pretty much my whole life. <laughs> but I've been a fan. And still, you know, I'm from Milwaukee. I'm always going to be a fan. The Brewers the Brewers have been garbage my whole life. I'm still a fan, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> But it's just, you know, it's for to be able to enjoy this, to be able to be part of this, and, and it's, just, it's just it's so special to me. It's just, it feels – I really feel good about it, and that's why I got a Bucks and Six, baby. That's awesome, man. That's freaking awesome. Man. And Giannis also one of the most like fun players to watch in the NBA. And he was coming off that injury, so you kind of expected him to start slow with the first two games when Suns went up to a be an interesting series to follow. Where I'd like to start, let's get back to football here. I don't think enough people know about kind of your pre-draft story because you've had a ton of success recently in Denver. Obviously signed the extension there, three-year, twenty-seven million dollar contract. But originally went to Illinois State. 
uh, you know, was a seventh round pick in 2014. Didn't even get an invite to the combine. I looked up your Illinois State Pro Day numbers. Ran a 488 at 285 pounds. Give me any details, any specifics on your pre-draft story. That what were the interviews like? When did teams start to show interest? And then ultimately, kind of what what was that draft day like? All the way waiting to the seventh round. And so you know, so I went to Wisconsin my first year, and then I transferred to Illinois State, and then. You know, I had through what three good years at Illinois State, and then still kind of under the radar. And then, when, then I went to go train because I really wasn't getting much interest at all. So then I went to go train, and then pretty much after the pro day is when I feel like teams, a couple teams, really got involved. Like the Raiders were involved in the beginning, the Forty ers you know. And so I remember it was, just, and then for me, I really believed I was going to get drafted. It was on the second day when someone called me and was like, yeah, we're getting a lot of interest about you. You're probably going to, they weren't saying I was going to get drafted the second day, but like, yeah, you might get picked up seven, like six, seven round. And so, all right, cool. Like, I, <laughs> I, ho- I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. But it's just, uh, I remember it, we had a little drafting the third day at my mom's house. You know, I had a couple of closest friends. And it's funny because actually a couple of picks before me, uh, one of my friends from high school got drafted. Oh, nice. Uh, somebody, went, somebody went to high school, got drafted. Ben Gardner got drafted by the Cowboys. And then next year, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, good for him. And then, you know, I think it was like two or three picks later, you know, I get a call. I remember my agent, <laughs> I was on the phone with my agent at the time. And he was like, okay, well, these are the, all, all these teams like would like you, like if you were undrafted, all this, da, da, da. And then I was like, wait, I'm getting a call from a California number. He's like, hang up, answer it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And then, and then the end of, it was the Raiders, and then, you know, it's been a dream come true ever since. That's awesome, man. I think those pre-draft stories are always fantastic. Chris has a handful of ones. Chris Collinsworth, guy here that owns PFF, he's told his a handful of times here. Uh, given that opportunity with the Raiders, uh, you know, worked with Khalil Mack, a ton of other studs along that defensive line. How how crucial was that to your kind of development early on in the NFL? Because you spent, what, the 2014 and 2015 season in Oakland, bounced around a couple teams, and then finally landed with Denver, I think, in 2017. What was How crucial was that experience for you, and how much did Mack and, the, and those guys really play, play in your development? You know, I think it it, it it was very crucial because it, it took that first year to really figure out NFL football. Mm-hmm. I was on practice squad for for uh, for thirteen weeks that year. I was active for three, and just going against you know the starting O line every day in practice, and you know working with Donald Penn. And that was really the main guy I was going against. I was, I was going against Donald Penn every day, and him working with me and helping me become the player I I became. You know, I, I owe DP a lot of, you know, a lot of credit because my first couple of years was just all me and him battling and, and practice. But I just think, you know, just with the people that I was surrounded with, you know, talking about our D-line, where everybody was willing to help. Because when I first got there, obviously, like, I was in the same draft class as Khalil. Mm-hmm. And so, but, like, the, the vets there, we had uh, Antonio Smith. We had Lamar Woodley. We had Justin Tuck, Pat Sims. You know, so we, we had veterans who were willing to work with us as young players. And and I really don't think I would be here in the same position I, I, I am without, you know, going through those learning, you know, those learning bumps and those learning and trying to figure this all out. Because you got to fail a couple of times in order to, you know, get yourself back up. And so then, you know, obviously things didn't really work out that well with the Raiders. I, I never really felt like I got a real opportunity with them, and mm-hmm. which is, you know, I'm perfectly fine now i'm i'm happy with how my career is gone but you know i definitely uh you know i loved my raider days back then you know that was definitely a great uh a great time for me 
So to pry a little bit there, you know, on this podcast, we focus a lot on rookies and, and draft development. I'd be interested to know what you feel as a defensive lineman, defensive end, defensive tackle. What is kind of the biggest hurdle you have to cross being a rookie? You know, you speak to having veteran presence and having that. What's, what is the biggest hurdle? What's the biggest challenge? And is it the speed of the game, the size of the offensive line? Everyone gets bigger and faster in the NFL. But I'd be interested to know from your perspective, what was kind of the biggest change or the biggest adjustment you had to make going from college to the NFL? Obviously coming from Illinois State as well, where a lot gets different going to the NFL. I would definitely say, I think football IQ is, you know, definitely a big thing because if you can figure out what's going on before the play, it makes the play a lot easier. And, you know, if you know what to expect and it's just something simple. If it's, if it's shotgun that backs away and they don't, they don't run my same side, more than likely the, the guards who have to, if you're playing three take, the guard has to come get you. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean, it's, you know, it's, just, it's simple stuff like that where it actually makes your job a lot easier. And, you know, I feel like at Illinois State, I would just go out there and play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just go out there and play. And so I really feel like, the, for me, it was the mental part of the game that really needed to be honed in and, and, and you know, just I needed to improve it when I got when my rookie year. I think it's easy, too, you know, in Illinois State, when you're the best player on the football field, it's easier to kind of go out there and just play. You know, once you get to the NFL, you got to pick up those small wins like football IQ and stuff like that. Pivoting now to the Broncos, I mean, how massive – is it that the Broncos are getting Von Miller back this season? He's obviously been one of the most successful edge players in the NFL, one of the most successful edge players PFF really has ever seen, and I'm sure also a massive leader in that locker room. Just how big is it that the Broncos are getting Miller back this year? You know, I, I, it's going to be huge. You know, I just think with the additions we made in the secondary, uh, having Von back, it's, it's it's going to be tough for any team to really attack us anyway because we do have some great DBs, and then we have the pass rush. And just, you know, the more pass rushers, the better. But then you're talking about a once-in-a-generation pass rusher like Von Miller. And that just makes everyone's job easier. I'm, I'm happy it's making my job easier. You know what I mean? So, I'd like it, it's going to do us wonders having Von back. And the thing is, I, I feel like if we all stay healthy, we could easily be a top, a top defense in the league. The top defense in the league. Yeah, 100%. I'm with you there. I think, you know, speaking of leadership, I think this, you know, a lot of other offseason additions as well. There's been rumors that Aaron Rodgers might go to Denver. Teddy Bridgewater now added to the quarterback room. What have been your early impressions of Bridgewater, if you've had any? And then how do you figure this competition specifically under center, you know, plays out or affects the locker room? I mean, it's, you know, just with the quarterback kind of unknown and the Aaron Rodgers rumors, I'm sure that has to have some sort of impact. I guess what, what would you say, play, what, what do you think plays out there and what effect, what effect does that have on the locker room? Well, you know, Teddy, I think Teddy looks good. Teddy, he's a vet. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, you know, you're not going to see many mistakes out of Teddy. And, and, and when it all comes down to it, the safe throw is the best throw sometimes. And so, you know, you know what you're getting out of Teddy. And that, and that, and that's the thing. And honestly, I don't think this QB battle is really making a big deal, you know, in the locker room. I think we just, we just want the best guy out there. And, and, and we just, you know, for me, I really feel like it's who, whoever turns the ball over the least. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like a lot of times in the season, if, if you throw an interception and we get the ball back at the fifth, if they get the ball at the fifteen, then okay, that's how we get screwed. <laughs> if we just if okay, it's fine. If we don't get it, just punt it away. Make them go eighty. Make them go eighty, not fifteen. Yeah. And and, and especially with the defense we have, like that's why I'm like, yeah, make them go eighty. Yeah. And and that's what I feel like the thinking needs to be. And I think you know it's just going to be between. I think it's going to be between Drew and Teddy. I think you know. I think Drew. I I like Drew a lot. And, you know, I, I just I, – I believe in Drew, and, and I've had Drew. But, like, also, Teddy's a good quarterback, too. So I'm happy with either of them. 
Is anyone in the locker room like quietly cheering for Aaron Rodgers to come to Denver? Because it has. To, I mean, you guys are on Twitter. You guys see the media. Like, I'd be interested. Like, how how often is like even Aaron Rodgers brought up? Are you guys just focused in on Drew and Teddy? Man, we just focusing on Drew and Teddy. You got to focus on the guys in the locker room because you know every year there's some type of rumor that comes <laughs> up about somebody that's about to get traded, and then it never happens, and you're yeah. just wasting your breath on it. You know what I mean? And so just like in the, for the guys in the locker room, I really just believe you know we're just focused on everybody that's in the, in our locker room now. I think another, you know, with rumors swirling and things in the media, like Vic Fangio is a guy that I have a ton of respect for. But for whatever reason, you look at betting markets. One of the you know, one of the one of the coaches that is like up there on the hot seat and these different types of things. You're a part of the media now, Shelby. You got the Shell Shock podcast. The media stirs. Dude. People are like, oh, Vic Fangio's on the hot seat. These different types of things. Speak to the the leadership qualities and, and the impact that Fangio has had on this defense specifically, and just how much better the Broncos are with Vic Fangio on the sidelines right now. You know, Vic brings us a whole different aspect, of, uh, you know, to the team. It's kind of like the no BS, you know, kind of approach. Just go out there and work. And I think, you know, Vic does good for the younger guys because it's he's going to work you. And that's one thing. He's going to he's going to work you. We're going to get our reps in. And but especially, you know, the young DBs, like, he's such a great defensive mastermind. And and you know, when you pull him to the side and and, and talk to him about it, he's he's great at explaining it too. And so I think, you know, I I. Don't understand. I can understand, I guess, why Vic would be on the hot seat just because of how many losing seasons we've had in a row. But also, I just think this is probably our most complete team that we've had. And so, I, you know, I, I have all the faith in Vic. I think Vic can definitely take us to the other side, and, and I'm, I'm riding with him. Uh, a couple more young players I want to get your take on, then I want to get your goals and your expectations for yourself this upcoming season. But Draymond Jones, a guy I really liked coming out of Ohio State, a former third-round pick, now entering his third season in the NFL. I'm sure you've had a lot of opportunities to kind of take him under your wing and move him forward. What are your expectations for Jones this upcoming season, and how much how much do you feel like you've had an impact on his development? I think Dre's going to be a phenomenal player this year. You know, he's grown every year he's been here. But the, the difference with Dre, I would say, he's willing to learn. You know, he's willing to sit back and just and, and, and soak it all in. And, you know, I feel like me and Dre have great chemistry out there. We, we've gotten used to playing with each other now. And so I just feel, you know, for him, the sky is the limit. You know, when I, when I signed my deal, I remember in the locker room, I said, you're next. <laughs> you're next. <laughs> like, you're next because it's, it's, Dre's a great, you know, he's a great young player. And, and he's, he's just going to keep getting better and better and better. And so, I, you know, I'm excited to see what Dre's going to do. And I think he's going to do real well. Another young player that a lot of people are excited about is Patrick Sertan, first-round pick out of Alabama, a guy that a lot of people saw as the best cornerback in the country this past season, a guy that like, feels like a vet, I'm sure. He's so technically sound, so driven at that position. Early impressions of Sertan, the big-name first-round corner. Man, he's a big, big corner. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but it, just, it seems like he doesn't ever get caught in the wrong position. You know what I mean? And so it's just – it doesn't feel like a rookie, but he's still going to get treated like one. But, you know, it's just, it's definitely has a very bright future in front of him. You know, I haven't really seen much, but from what I've seen and from what I've heard, everyone's very impressed with him and that everyone, you know, feels like he's going to play a big role in this defense this year. All right, last one for you, Shelby. I really appreciate the time. What are your goals for this upcoming season? Coming off the contract there, also the most successful pass rushing season, if you, uh, at least by PFF standards this past year. What are your expectations or your goals for yourself in 2021? Well, one, just to build, to build on last year, you know, keep building, keep getting better. But, you know, I would say personal goal, I always say I, I, I feel like I'm an all-pro player and I'm a Pro Bowl player. And so, you know, those are obviously my personal goals, but I want to win. You know, let's let's start winning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because none of that stuff happens 
it's when you're losing. And so you got to and you got to do your part to, you know, elevate that team to, uh, you know, to be successful. So I'm just trying to do my part. And that's my goal for this year. You know, we got to win. Shelby, this has been fantastic. I encourage everyone to check out the Shell Shocked podcast for an inside look at the Denver Broncos and Shelby Harris as he goes on for the 2021 NFL season. Thanks again and best of luck this year. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. That's going to do it for this episode of Two for One Drafts. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Also, on the comments, Team Renner or Team Gale? Who had the better start to their 2021 NFL franchise looking to win a Super Bowl in the next three years? Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, producer Max Chadwick, and Mike Quinn, Two for One Drafts. (laughs) 